Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. So this morning, as we begin to hear the word of the Lord, I want you to first think about your own heart this morning. And I'm going to ask you a question. It's a question I've been thinking about all week myself. What do you truly long for? What, what is your heart truly attaching itself to this morning? What do you desire more than anything else in this entire world? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? Where do your thoughts linger when you're by yourself? What consumes you? Well, for some of you, it may be a nice juicy T-bone steak with friends and family on a sunny Colorado evening. That may be what your heart longs for. For others of you, you may truly long and desire for the Broncos to get their act together and start having a better season. That may be your heart's desire. For some of you this morning, it may be just, I want that dream vacation I've been waiting for, where I can just get away for a week, not think about the world, detach and enjoy myself for a week on the beach in this dream vacation. Well, for some of you that are younger, it may be a certain drive to get into that college of your choice, that that college that you've had your heart on, that you you want that full-ride scholarship to that particular college. For some of you, it may be a deep desire to get romantically closer to that person you've had your eye on for the past few months. For some of you, you long for the satisfaction of retirement. You're waiting for the day where you can just live off your 401k and you've retired and and that's what you're living for. Others of you, maybe you're just longing for that competitive angst to get that promotion that you've been passed up for the past two years. You, You want to get ahead at your job. What do you truly long for? What do you desire more than anything else in this world? You fill in the blank this morning on where your heart is. I can't answer that for you. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, begins with this very profound question. He says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So let me ask you the question again. Not what do you long for, The question all of us should really wrestle with is, do you long for Jesus? Is your heart captivated by Jesus? Do you long for heaven where you will see Jesus face to face? Is Jesus, dare I say it, your magnificent obsession to whom you owe all of your allegiance and he is your treasure? Do you long for Jesus? Does he occupy your thoughts? Is he seated as the throne of your affections? Well, we come to the very end of Jesus' high priestly prayer here in John chapter 17. 
And so we're going to be reading verses 20 through 26. And remember, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying to the Father. He's been praying this deeply profound prayer. And now it shifts towards us. We are the subject of this prayer. So let's pick up in verse 20. John 17, verse 20. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, the disciples that I've been praying for, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you've sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Now here's the beauty of this passage of Scripture stated in a very simple sentence. Very simply put, Jesus prayed specifically for you to experience him to the fullest. That's what the prayer is about. Jesus is praying for you and me specifically that we would experience him to the fullest. And so let's unpack that this morning. This is Jesus's, if you will, last will and testament. These are his final words to the father right before he's going to be betrayed. We'll see that next week where he gets betrayed by Judas. So on his lips, on his heart, right before he goes to the cross, he's praying for you. He's praying for me. It's a profound reality that he's praying specifically for us. He gives two powerful requests and then a promise. Now remember last week, we talked about the mission. Jesus has sent us on a mission into the world to declare the gospel. He sent these disciples into the world on a mission to share the gospel. And so in verse 20, Jesus says, I'm not praying for these guys only, but also for who? Those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and me. How did you come to believe in Jesus Christ? Well, you heard the word of the gospel, the word of truth, and you believed. That's why Paul says in Romans 10, 17, so faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You heard the word of Christ and you believed. Now, back up in chapter 17, verse 17, remember what Jesus said last week, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. And then in verse 20, he says, those who will believe in me through their word, the word of truth, the the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth that you and I have believed we've received in order to become a Christian. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. 
In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So you're a Christian today. Think about this. You're a Christian today because these men that Jesus rose up to be disciples in the book of Acts turned the world upside down. They shared the gospel, and then somebody else shared the gospel, and then 2,000 years later, centuries later, somebody shared the gospel with you. You personally heard the word of truth through their message, and you became a Christian as a result of these men's testimony. So this last section here is for us, specifically. And so Jesus gives two requests and then a promise. What's his first request for us today? and all future believers who would believe. Here's request number one. Jesus prays that all believers would experience spiritual unity. Don't ask me to fully explain this because I can't. I'm going to do the best I can this morning. Because there's some words here that Jesus says that I can't wrap my mind around. I'm just being honest with you. But on three occasions, Jesus prays that we would be one. Look at verse 21. My prayer is that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Look at verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then in verse 23, in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Three three times Jesus says, I want them to be one. And then on the last time, he says, I want them to be perfectly one. I want them to be unified. I want them to experience this spiritual unity, to be unified. And I've thought hard about what that really means. What does it mean to be one, perfectly one? He's praying for us. Well, as I've thought about this, I, I think you can really... Just for the sake of time this morning, I want us to focus on three aspects of how we're one. What is this oneness that Jesus is praying for? What does it mean to be perfectly one? Again, I can't fully explain it. I can't fully understand it, but it's in there. Here's the first aspect of the spiritual unity that I think Jesus is praying for. First of all, and don't ask me to explain this, I'm going to try my best. It is a spiritual unity similar to Trinitarian unity. Now, what do I mean by that? Notice what Jesus says here. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me. Okay, the Father's in Jesus. And I in you, Jesus is in the Father. That they may also be in us. I don't understand exactly what that means. But there is this dynamic union between the Father and the Son who are perfectly unified and the Holy Spirit as well. All three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And we've been enfolded, we've been enveloped into this type of Trinitarian unity. I don't fully understand what that means, but Jesus says that we may experience this oneness the way the Trinity experienced a oneness. We've been brought together as a family into this powerful union. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. We were all brought together into one family, one body, through the power of the Holy Spirit, into this dynamic union where we share life together that's very similar to the way the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit share life together. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 6. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. And what does this look like? Well, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to do what? Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and there's one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who's over all and through all and in all. It is a dynamic union that you and I share together as believers that puts us into this type of unity that's similar to the way the Trinity relates to one another, which means this. Unity is more than just eating potlucks in a fellowship hall. As fun as that may be. Unity means more than just a privatized spiritual Christian experience where you live so far removed from the life of the church, the life of other believers, that you're this Lone Ranger Christian. No, it's a unity that's connected together with other believers in this dynamic union. Think about the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's existed for eternity past, and it will exist into eternity future. But think about this for a moment. Is there any competition in the Trinity? Are they jockeying for positions? The Father says, I want to be higher than you, Jesus. And Jesus says, I want to be higher than you. And they're fighting with one another. No. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are perfectly united of same purpose, same mission, same, same, same everything. They are in a perfect relationship with no competition, no jealousy. Now, that's bigger than we can put our our minds around. But yet through Christ and in this prayer, we've been enveloped, we've been folded in, we've been incorporated into this type of unity with each other. It's a unity that means more than just, hey, I'm your friend This is a dynamic type of spiritual union that we can't quite explain, but it's a reality for us. It's true whether you feel it or not. And so we are not perfect the way that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are perfect. We fall short of God's glory. We're sinful. And so that's why the instruction for us is to maintain the unity of the Spirit. We maintain that. We strive for unity with one another. We are patient with one another. We're loving with one another. We're encouraging one another. Compassionate. So, number one, it's a unity that's Trinitarian in nature. Father, Son, Spirit. Again, we can't wrap our minds around it, but it's this deep unity. But secondly, this unity is empowered by the glorious Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Now, verse 22 is, is kind of controversial. As I've done study in the scriptures, studying scholars, 
there's about six or seven different interpretations of how to take verse 22. And you come across commentary after commentary. It's like, why can't you just guys all, all agree? What does Jesus mean? Let's read this carefully. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Question. What is the glory that's been given to Jesus that's been given to us? What's the, that's the question. What is the glory that Jesus has given to us that we may be one? What is that glory? Well, obviously, it can't mean that somehow we're um, equal with Jesus or somehow we're like a little God where we're glorified like Jesus. That can't be what it means. After studying this, after thinking it through, after looking at the arguments from all the different angles, looking specifically at the context of John 17 and how it relates to what comes before it, my best interpretation, I think, is this. The glory that Jesus gives us is the Holy Spirit to live in us, to empower us, to be unified. Now, it doesn't say Holy Spirit. It says the glory given to us. But 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14 says, If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's called the Spirit of glory. Now, again, we can't be dogmatic on this glory that God's given us. I think it's the Holy Spirit because contextually, think about it. If you go all the way back to John chapter 14 through chapter 17, who has been the major attention that Jesus has been teaching us about? The Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Comforter that will come, that will live inside of us. How else are we going to experience this Trinitarian type of unity between the Father and Son unless the Holy Spirit unites us to the Father and Son and gives us the power to be able to have this type of unity? So the Holy Spirit lives in us to to empower us for mission, to be sent out to share the gospel. He empowers us for unity. He empowers us for, to be sanctified, to be cleansed. He empowers us to live the Christian life. He's the glory that's been given to us that we may be one. So think about the Trinity for a moment. We are in the Father. We are in the Son. And we are in the Holy Spirit. Three in one. We as believers have been enveloped, united, incorporated into this love relationship of the Trinity. I can't explain it. I don't fully understand it, but it's true. And Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I want you to see all three persons of the Trinity in this one passage of Scripture. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you see Jesus there? The love of God. See the Father there? And the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You got all three persons there of the Trinity. Three persons, one God. So we, through this prayer of Jesus, get to experience the love of God the Father. The love of God the Father. The grace of Jesus Christ the Son and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit in this dynamic unity. This is true of us whether you feel it or not. It's categorically true of all believers. We have been united. We've been brought together as perfectly one, one body in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to live together in unity. And so think about this. The closer we grow to Jesus, the closer we grow to one another. I often give this illustration when I do premarital counseling. You think about a triangle, okay? 
So here's a triangle. You got the husband and wife on both sides, and you got God at the top. As you both grow closer to God, what happens? You're growing closer to each other. That's the way it is in church life. The more all of us are growing closer to God, the closer we're growing to one another. And we're being unified. Think about our faith for a moment. Just think about who we are as believers, especially at Emmanuel Baptist Church. I mean, there's the unity of believers across all the world, um, obviously, but just talk about our local church here. We share a common life. We share a common set of values. We share a common set of beliefs. We share a common set of relationships, a common time where we meet together on the Lord's Day. We are in a communion together to love one another. And so as we're all individually submitting to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, as we're individually submitting, as we're individually worshiping, the more we're growing closer together in that relationship. Now, unity does not mean we're clones of one another. That would be very boring of a church. If I looked out here this morning, you're all clones, it would be very boring. It doesn't mean that we're always uniform. It doesn't mean we're always unanimous. But it does mean that we are united under Christ. And it means that we need to strive to maintain this unity. Romans twelve eighteen, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. And then in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Okay, so what type of unity is this? Number one, it's a unity that's Trinitarian in nature. Number two, it's a unity that is, is given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's the third thing I think Jesus tells us about this unity. Spiritual unity does not sacrifice sound doctrine for the lowest common denominator. Now, here's what I mean by that. We are not to be unified at all costs. There are some groups and some Christians that we just can't be unified with because of their doctrinal stance on some things. It's not just throwing doctrine out the window and say, hey, we're going to be unified uh, no matter what. You know, I often hear people say this. Let's not worry about doctrine. Let's not worry about theology. All that really matters is that we just love Jesus. Well, here's what I say to that person. What Jesus are you talking about? Are we talking about the Mormon Jesus, the New Age Jesus, the mainline Jesus? What Jesus are we talking about? And oh, by the way, what salvation are we talking about? Are we talk, what gospel are we talking about? What cross are we talking about? What, what do you believe about the Bible? What do you believe about heaven and hell? You see, when we just throw, throw theology out the window and say, let's just all let's love Jesus, that sounds really good, but that's not really uniting. It's not really uniting because what does Jesus say here? We are in a long stream of Christians who have believed what? Look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through what? Through their word. Who's that? That's the apostles. So the apostles wrote down the word of truth in the scriptures. And there is a historical continuity between first century believers and us. So Jesus is praying that we would be unified in a faith once delivered for all time to the saints. Jude tells us that in Jude chapter 3, or Jude verse 3. 
Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith. So what's Jesus' prayer here for unity? When he prays for unity, what's he praying for? That the faith, the truth, what the early apostles believed in the scriptures would be the same thing that we believe today all down through the generations, that there would be a continuity between the first century and between us today, that our faith wouldn't change from generation to generation, that we would be unified around the faith. But notice the powerful result. Okay, when we're unified, when we're loving one another, when we're maintaining the bond of peace, when we're striving for unity, when we're getting along, when we're unified, there is evangelistic effectiveness. There is visible, demonstrable results that come from this unity. Notice verse 21. What does Jesus say? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, what? The world may believe that you've sent me. That the world may believe. Okay, go down to verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. That the world may believe, that the world may know. You see, in a world that wants so desperately to manufacture unity, a loving, unified church is highly attractive to the watching world it's highly attractive the world stands up and notices when christians are unified what did jesus say in john 13 34 through 35 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i've loved you you're also to love one another by this all people will know you're my disciples if you have a big fish on the back of your car By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you crank Caleb really loud. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you are a churchgoer. What does he say? If you have love for one another. How's the world going to know about Jesus? How's the world going to know the gospel? How's the world going to know the hope of the gospel by looking at us? Now, that may be intimidating because they may think, wow, if they're looking at us, that's kind of scary. But Jesus says, to the extent that we love one another, we're a witness to a watching world. Thomas Manton has said this. He's an old Puritan. He said, divisions in the church breed atheism in the world. Think of all the ways our world's trying to manufacture unity. You've got the celebrate diversity bumper stickers where everybody's trying to celebrate. Unity among diversity. You've got Facebook, you've got social media trying to connect people together, you've got coffee shops, you've got Starbucks, you've got civic causes, you've got um, political causes, you've got environmental causes, you've got all these different causes that are trying to unite people. Let's just be united, you know, celebrate the, the unity we have. And I want you to stop and think about how divided our country is now. It's more divided than it's ever been. So is the world's attempt at unity working? No. Where's the one place where different people of different backgrounds that are so diversified can come together in unity 
and live together and demonstrate this, the one place on earth is God's people and his church. There's no other place that can manufacture that. There's no other place that can produce that. Only God produces that when his people live unified and the world looks at that and says, wow, there's something different about those people. They don't fight. They love each other with a true type of love. They're unified. They take care of each other. That's winsome. The flip side's also true. We can oftentimes give the, the world a reason to throw their noses at us. J.C. Ryle has said this, How often Christians have wasted their strength in fighting against their brothers instead of fighting against sin and the devil. How repeatedly they've given an opportunity for the world to say, when you've settled your own internal problems, then we'll believe. Then we'll believe. So the first request by Jesus is that we experience spiritual unity. To be one with each other. As we walk by faith. Now, here's the question. And if you've done this before, I want you to come up after the service and tell me. Anybody here ever seen Jesus in the flesh? If you have, come up after the service and we need to have a talk. We walk by faith, right? We walk by faith, not by sight. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. We walk by faith, not by sight. So we've banked our entire future on, on a God we can't see. We've, we've trusted in Jesus Christ. We believed in his death. We believed in his resurrection. We believe he's coming back. We've banked our entire lives by walking by faith, not by sight. And I get goosebumps. I get the chills every time we sing that last stanza of It Is Well With My Soul. Lord, haste the day when our faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Lord, haste the day. Bring it quickly when we see you face to face. That should be the longing of every true believer. I want to see my Jesus face to face. Don't you long for that? Well, guess what? Jesus prayed for that. His first prayer is for spiritual unity as we walk by faith his second prayer is not walking by faith it's seeing him face to face here's request number two jesus prays that all believers experience eternal glory with him in heaven look at verse 24 father i desire and that's a strong word in the original language when jesus says i desire that's like his will this is my will father that they also whom you've given me, that's us, may be with me where I am. To do what? To see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundation of the world. We have not yet seen the glory of Jesus. But what has he done for us? Go back to chapter 14 for a moment. Just three, chap- three chapters back. John 14, 1 through 3, Jesus starts this entire discussion with his disciples with this. Let not your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Okay, right now, as you read your Bible, as you kind of get a glimpse of Jesus... As you pray, you kind of get a glimpse of Jesus. None of us has ever seen Jesus. You know, it's kind of like this. When you get out of the shower and you try to look at yourself in the mirror, what do you have to do? You know, you have to squeak that. You have to take your towel or whatever to scrape off the, the mirror so you can see. Because what? It's, it's foggy. Paul says that's the way we live right now. 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Listen to what Paul says our, our vision is like right now. For now, right now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall fully know, even as I've been fully known. Okay, right now it's like you're looking through a dark glass. It's right now you're looking through the mist. You you can kind of see Jesus, you can kind of see some things, but it's really dim. That's where we are right now. We walk by faith, not by sight. But there's one day coming when our faith will be sight. What does 1 John 3, 2 say? Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet happened. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. That's Jesus' prayer that we will see His glory. What's your greatest desire? To be with Jesus forever in glory. To see Him face to face. That's why the psalmist can say in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's why Paul could say in Philippians 121, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Isn't it wonderful to think that Jesus prayed for you and me to experience seeing Him face to face in glory? That's a beautiful, wonderful reality. But I wonder how we are doing as believers in encouraging one another in this. When Paul writes about being taken up to the Lord, the resurrection, the rapture, whatever you want to call it. In First Thessalonians four seventeen through 18 Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with the, them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That's a command by Paul to encourage one another. I wonder how often we encourage one another about the reality of that future day when we see Jesus in heaven? Do we encourage one another with these words? Two prayers. First prayer, spiritual unity as we live on this earth and we live by faith, not by sight. Second prayer request, eternal glory that we will see Jesus as He fully is on that final day. But then Jesus leaves us with the final promise. And this is a wonderful promise. What's the final promise He leaves us in this prayer? Final promise. Jesus promises to continually make known to us the love 
of the Father. Verse 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you've sent me. And here's the promise in verse 26. I made known to them your name. And what will Jesus do? I will continue to make it known. What's the result of Jesus continuing to make known his name? That the love with which you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus promises that we would always experience the love of the Father. Go back to verse 23. He says up up there in verse 23, I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Again, we can't even begin to understand this type of love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But yet, Jesus here promises that He's going to continually make known to us the love of the Father. Well, how's that going to happen? How's this continual knowledge of the love of the Father going to happen? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Think about this for a moment. If God's love has been poured into your hearts generously, if God's love has been poured into your hearts, where do you pour that love out? You pour it out to others. So think about the unity here. If God's poured his love into your heart, you pour it out to others. So when you're loving others and you're being unified and you're encouraging one another and you're talking about the glories of heaven and we're living unified and, and the world's taking notice, we're, we're living the reality of this prayer that Jesus prayed because of the Father's love being poured into our hearts. Now, I want you to stop and think about the magnitude of the Father's love. Zephaniah 3.17. When was the last time you heard a message from Zephaniah? Only place in the Bible this statement's made. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Now God makes a promise to... Keep that up there for just a minute, Mickey. God makes a promise to Israel here in the Old Testament. And they're in a time of rebellion. They're in a time where armies are invading. And God says, I'm going to be a mighty one. I'm going to be your warrior. I'm going to be your strong warrior. And then God gives three ways he's going to be that strong warrior. Poetically. I'm going to rejoice over you. I'm going to quiet you, and I'm going to sing over you. One commentator makes this statement. To consider Almighty God sinking in contemplations of love over once wretched human beings can hardly be absorbed by the human mind. Now, when the the Bible says there He will quiet you by His love, God will quiet you by His love, you know what that Hebrew word can also mean? He will renew you. He will refresh you. He will encourage you quietly, gently by His love. And He will what? He will exult over you with loud singing. This is the only place in the entire Bible where it says God sings over you. I do not know what that sounds like, but I'm sure it's beautiful when God sings. And who's He singing over? He's singing over you. He's rejoicing over you. 
He's quieting you with his love. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Paul prays this prayer that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. So what's your response to this prayer that Jesus just prayed for you? Well, by faith, you look outside of yourself at the Heavenly Father who quiets you by His love. By faith, you look outside of yourself at Jesus who died on the cross and rose again to give you eternal life and to forgive you of your sins. By faith, you look outside of yourself at the Holy Spirit who's been given to live inside of you to empower you and to encourage you and to strengthen you in your Christian walk. In other words the way you respond to this powerful prayer is you put the words that we sang earlier to your heart and to your mind and to your life. All I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. He is my all in all. You find your ultimate joy. You find your ultimate pleasure. You find your ultimate satisfaction. You find your ultimate trust in all that God is for you and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Who am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire more than you? Can we be honest and say that? There's nothing more on this earth that we desire besides Jesus? He prayed for you to experience this spiritual unity. He prayed for you to one day see Him in heaven face to face in all of His glory. And He promised you that He would continually make known to you the love of the Father being poured into your heart. So what's coming up this Thursday? We call it Thanksgiving. Too bad it's one day a year. For the Christian, every day is a day of Thanksgiving. So how do you respond to this great God who's loved you so deeply through Jesus Christ? You thank Him. And how do you thank Jesus? You thank Him by longing for Him. By surrendering to Him. By desiring Him. Would your heart be captivated by His love? And would he be the treasure of your heart above all things? Let's pray.
come before you this morning to give you thanks for praying for us. You prayed that we would experience unity. And Lord, we may be a church that strives to maintain that unity, that we're encouraging one another, that we're loving one another, that we're, we're so involved in each other's lives that the world takes notice of the difference that we are as, as believers. And we would be attractive to a watching world because of the unity that you alone are producing in us. Jesus, thank you that you prayed that one day we would see your glory. Our minds can't even wrap around what that will be when our faith is sight. And we don't, we don't look through a glass dimly, but Lord, we see you face to face in all of your glory. Would we be ready for that day? And Jesus, we thank you that you ended this with a promise that you would continually make known to us the love of the Father. Lord, there may be many in this room that need to be quieted by your love. There may be many in this room that need to just hear that you rejoice over them. With singing. There may be many in this room that just need to hear the truth today. That there's hope in Jesus Christ who can forgive all sin, grant us eternal life, and give us access to our Heavenly Father. Father, I don't know what the sound of your singing sounds like. And I know it's a poetic metaphor. But Lord, that gives us great encouragement to know that you never let us go. That we're in your eternal grip forever. So Father, on this Lord's day that we've concluded this high priestly prayer of Jesus, may we leave encouraged. May we leave motivated. May we leave refreshed knowing, Jesus, that you prayed for us. And you continually pray for us. You're our high priest at the right hand of the Father, always making intercession for us. So we thank you for that work, Jesus. Would we truly be a church that is unified? Lord, would we truly be a church that's perfectly one? And may the world, especially northeastern Colorado, know through our lives who Jesus is because this church is living out authentic Christianity in a way that's so radically different than what anybody's ever seen before. That at the end of the day, Jesus, you would receive all the glory and all the praise. And we ask this in your strong name, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen and amen.